Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. Hi everyone, welcome to another Q&A episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast. I'm Will Dale, sitting across the table from me is Aaron Noonan, and I'll tell you what, I don't know what we're going to talk about, it's been such a quiet period in the sport for the last month or so. <laughs> you are a really crappy liar. <laughs> There's been so much to talk about off the back of the Gold Coast 600 across the weekend, what's come out of it, what started before it, uh, drivers that were benched mid-race weekend, cars that were chassis crashed beyond belief. Um, and we've got another anyway, race meeting to go to. And the there's week. another race meeting at Sandown in, as this podcast goes live on a week and a half. So this is a Q&A. We haven't done this for a little while, mm. but we've got a big, long list of questions here. But i tell you what we've also got. Before we get into the questions, I've got to tell you about an event we're doing. Our V8 Sleuth Open Nights have been really well received in recent years. We were up at Bathurst in October with Brad Jones, and we're putting on a Sandown night for our hey. Melbourne friends. Now, get some tickets. Get along. It's Thursday night of Sandown 500 week, November the 7th, quarter past seven. And we- guess who the guest is? Well, I know who the guest well, is you, because yeah, we do, do. we're doing it. Yeah, it's, but it's super exciting. It's like, Neil's on Wheels. Neil yeah. Crompton. Everybody keeps asking us to do a podcast with him or a night with him. We've finally managed to convince Crompo to come and spend the night. So get a ticket. Book now. It's going to be at Hoyt's at Chadston. So we've got a cinema room. We wanted people to sit in comfy seats. We wanted them to be able to eat popcorn and chocolate tops. stuff that you and don't normally eat. Exactly. Yes. Uh, we won't be showing a movie. It's going to be Neil and I talking about this, that, and everything. So chances to fire questions, chances to win some prizes. Um, Stitch-ups are welcome. Oh, God. I am on for the <laughs> stitch-up with Crompton. He does not know what's going to hit him. And we've got a cinema screen mm. behind us to put photos as backdrop. You won't have seen a Coke Commodore look this big in your life. No, no. Yeah. So um, if you need to buy a ticket, jump on our website, v8sleuth.com.au. What, what am I saying if you need to? You need to buy a mm. ticket to get in. Um, so Thursday night, November 7, it's the week of the Sandown 500. If you're listening to this podcast after the event, you missed out. Unlucky. Too bad. Come next time. Yes. Uh, but these are good fun nights. It's a chance to tell plenty of stories. It's kind of like a live podcast. We won't be podcasting from this event, but it is virtually the sort of stuff you've come to expect from our podcast anyway. So jump on our website. There's a story about Neil being our guest, the link to Eventbrite, which is a regular place to buy tickets from. If you head just straight to Eventbrite as well, type in Neil Crompton, V8 Sleuth, whatever, uh, you'll find us. Grab yourself a ticket. They're thirty nine ninety five. Come and sit in a comfy seat and hear some funny stories and have a good night leading into the Sandown 500. Should be a good time. Mm. When, mm. when you think about how long- the sort of period he's been in the sport oh, and all the so much he's to worked talk about. with. So much to talk about. Mm. Whether it's the Coke days, the Cedo days. The going Brock to, days. Yeah, the Brock days. Going to North America in the Honda two-litre car, driving a champ car. Mm. Um, a couple of stories that people probably don't know about of test drives that I know he did, but no one else knows <laughs> that he did. Um, you know, the early days, uh, motocross racing and how he got into television, how he stays in television, why he loves it, what he has seen evolve and change so much over the years. Uh, the double O Motorsport Gibson era as well. Maybe don't ask him about that car. Uh, or do. Or do. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, let's not. There's a few topics that are probably off limits. <laughs> That's one. Matt Neal Bathurst 2000 always gets him up and about. Um, plastic bags, they go well. <laughs> um, yeah, nah, bugger it. I'll ask him about all of them. <laughs> so anything that you want to fire in for me to ask Crompton at our V8 Sleuth Open Night on Thursday, November 7. Send an email, send a message via socials. If you're going to be there on the night, we will have a Q&A section of the night so you can launch it yourself. But if you're not going to be able to be there, fire it at me and I'll fire it at him and we'll just fire it all around. Good plan. Mm, lock it in. Get a ticket. Um, while we're on the plug mission too, before we get into the Q&As, Craig Lowndes in the next round at Sandown starts his 200th championship round with Triple Eight Race Engineering. Now, that's a stunning... Uh, achievement because no one's ever done that. No, no one's done 200 rounds with the one single team unbroken as mm. well. Uh, no one really comes close. So to celebrate that, we've put together with Triple Eight Race Engineering a very special one meter long, about it's 83 centimeters high print that is celebrating Craig's 200th. We're calling it 200 rounds with Lounds. You like it? Very nicely done. Yeah, no, nicely done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was good. Yeah. So we've got. They'll be all signed by Craig. They'll be individually numbered, and they feature the length and breadth of his time with Triple Eight, from the first better electrical Falcon right through the Red Bull Commodore that he's driving in the Enduros. All of the Bathurst winning cars are included. Uh, the various different one-off liveries with Caltex and Red Bull and Lenouds. Lenouds, yeah, that's <laughs> on there from Philip Island, two thousand six. Um, it's a really cool piece. Craig is going to sign them in our office. Uh, the week of the 500, and then they'll be distributed in the weeks to follow. So it's a really limited edition print that we wanted to make sure everyone could grab a copy. So if you're looking for something cool for Christmas for a Craig Lowndes fan, uh, jump on our website uh, to our store page. So go to v8sleuth.com.au, click on store, get in your order. There'll be a limited edition, and we will um, cap it at a certain amount. So our pre-orders determine that, but... It'll be in the realm of two, three, four hundred, something like that. Lounge is really popular, so if you don't get in early, you will probably miss out. Um, our podcast listeners, I'm thrilled to say too, have been using our book code for mm. the Ford at Bathurst book. Thanks, everyone, for getting on board. That's proof to us of who's listening to the podcast and that you're listening all the way through, which is even better. <laughs> um, so if you're after a Christmas present for a Ford fan, we did a book last year. It's Ford at Bathurst, every car from 1963 to 2018. There's a photo of all of them, um, a full breakdown of their details, drivers, results, history, Um all the Falcons, all the Sierras, yep. all the Mustangs from the Group A era. Capris, Cortinas, Class Escorts, cars. Mondeos. Yes. And the one and only Ford Telstar to ever compete <laughs> in Bathurst 1000 history as well. Um, so so if you go to our store, sorry for the plugs, we're getting them out of the way nice and early, v8sleuth.com.au, go to store, and that'll take you in there. And when you get to the checkout of our Ford at Bathurst book, type in the discount code FORDBOOK10, F O R D. B double O K one zero and you get ten percent off because we're good blokes. We really are. Yeah. So sure. there you go. Plugs yeah. are out of the way. Sure, we've been some questions. Yeah, go on. What All do right. you got? Gareth, why does DJR Team Penske get done for team orders? <laughs> we're going in hard. All right, oh, let's Why does DJR early. Team Penske get done for team orders when clearly we heard team orders called to both Triple Eight cars not to fight at the finish at the Gold Coast? As a fan of racing, that is racing's version of match fixing, plain and simple. Investigate that, I bet you can't. Well, Gareth, you're wrong. Mm. DJ Team Penske was not found guilty of team orders mm. at all. There's nothing in the Supercar Operations Manual. It's it's pretty ambiguous 
the, the wording in regard to team orders. So they were not found guilty of team orders. It no. had to go to the FIA sporting was it International Sporting Regulations? The Sporting Code. Sporting yeah, Code. So, so in essence, if you were to ban team orders, then in essence what you're saying is that an engineer can't tell a driver, we need you to push. Precisely. Uh, we need you to adjust your roll. And that, that's an order. Yeah. Turn off it the car. Be, it's about to catch on fire. That's a good order. Yeah. Particularly that's if it's one about you to catch don't on want to hear, but you also do. So that's why there's that ambiguity about it. So, so the rule actually, as it's written, stops outside influences beyond the team, i.e. a sponsor, sponsor or a manufacturer representative yep. trying yep. to dictate terms in that sense. Correct, correct. So um, the two things are not comparable like many people on social media probably have. However, mm. supercars have said they are going to look into their operations manual and their wording and their rules around team orders for next year. So let's see what happens there. Mm. Um, Bevan asks, when the supercars raced in Hamilton in New Zealand, the drivers raced for the Mark Porter Memorial Trophy. It was a beautifully crafted very heavy greenstone trophy. I remember mm, it. it was huge. Stunning, yeah. um, what happened to it since we don't race in Hamilton? Uh, I understand it's now with Mark Porter's family, which is, I think, the right place for it to be. I think that's right. It's yeah, it's a memorable trophy, and Mark Porter is is sadly missed in our, our championship paddock, and of course in in the Super Two category that he, he competed in too. Uh, from Scott, do you think that control items like uprights and crate engines should be introduced into Super 2 and Super 3 to lower the cost and potentially at- attract new entries? Can't see it happening because the point mm. of those categories is to sell off the stuff down the Previous line hardware, from the yes. main game. So to suddenly pull that out of line would be, yeah, highly unlikely. But they do need to change costs, in mm. uh, particularly Absolutely. Super 2. That's its biggest issue right now. And um, clearly that's what they're looking at doing. That might affect a few other things, but uh, I don't think those things would... They'd probably create a whole other set of headaches and problems, albeit well-intended. Um, Tony asks, has there ever been any discussion within the teams regarding the availability of a spare car to be used when a car's too badly damaged to repair? So taking sponsor interest into account uh, on the weekend, he's sure that Super Cheap and Shell would have been much happier to have Chaz and Scott in cars on the grid, even if they started at the rear of the field. I think it's a pretty valid point when you factor that two of the biggest stars in the game were not on the grid. But equally, like these cars, as we just discussed, are very expensive pieces of machinery. Some teams do have spare cars that are fully built up back at the workshop. And like from a pure logistical, if money was no object standpoint, you could have them at the racetrack, but they don't because money is unfortunately a factor. And there is a rule written that you can't have a spare car Mm. physically and you can't change cars over the course of a weekend anyway. So I I get the thought, Mm. but financially there will be the haves and have nots. If you allowed it, a a Penske, a Tickford, a a Triple Eight would, maybe a Techno, a Charlie Schwerkold, a GRM, Maybe couldn't and wouldn't, so therefore it's... We look at even Erebus did not or did not have a spare car finished and built up back at the workshop when Anton crashed mm. at Bathurst, so, and they're one of the top teams in the category. Mm. Yeah, that says it all, doesn't mm. it? Uh, from Carl, what year and driver was the championship winner with the least amount of race wins in that year but still got the title, considering we'll more than likely be seeing the opposite <laughs> this year? Not this year, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, 2006, Rick Kelly won mm. one single race in that year's championship played the i need to finish fourth or fifth in every round on the basis of the averages of it all uh, which is the same strategy russell ingle followed under the point score the previous year but ingle won two races everyone Mm. thinks he won one he won won one one round round. correct he won two uh, individual races so uh, that's the answer to that one Uh, rowan asks will 
What's the history behind the Max Dumsney EF Falcon? You might remember that the Speedway star had a Falcon in supercars in the mid-90s, before it was even supercars, actually. Whose car was it originally, and where is it now? Well, it's funny you should ask this, Ron, because I have sitting next to me here a copy of the V8 Sleuth publication, The Falcon Files. I thought you were getting the plugs out of the way early, but you've just slipped another one in. Well, you know, it's it's a good book, and it has the answer to the question. Oh, good. So if I rifle through here and flick through to the page deep the page that is focused on GSR3. Mm-hmm. The car actually, might surprise you to learn, that was the car that won the 93 championship with Glenn Seaton. And that's an interesting one because it's the car he drove for the majority of the year, but not the mm-hmm. one he was driving at the very end of the year, which is a bit McLaughlin spec, which asks the question, which car do you consider to be the championship car? I guess it's six or one half a dozen the other. Or in Craig Lowndes' 1999 case, it is actually six. I think it was five. five which yeah. Yeah. He had a few. Yeah. <laughs> so as you said, AJ drove this car at the final round. In 93. In 93. So it continued with Glenn Seaton racing through 94, 95. It actually was the car that Alan Grice drove as a third entry at the number end s- of the night. Number six? Yes, Grice's number six at Oran, at Oran Park. Park. Yep, okay. When, when both GSR and DJR in the middle of a title battle decided they'd enter three cars. Yep, I remember. Um. And it was at the end of that year that that car was sold to John Sydney Racing, mm-hmm. NASCAR team, Speedway team for Max Dumsney to come across. That car raced on Hoosier tyres right, for a time as well. Yeah. And it also, the following year, was driven by Kevin Schwantz, MotoGP legend at uh, Albert Park. It was too. Yeah. 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 And then it became Anthony Tratt's toll car. Then it had the guts ripped out to put in his AU. Mm. And over time, that chassis um, floated and was sold and sat around for a long time. It's now in the hands of a private collector who's getting his curator to restore it slowly but surely over time. So that'd be cool to see that one. Oh, absolutely. There aren't many EBs out there in no. EB form. No. Question from Chris. What happened to the VL Commodore that was driven by Bill O'Brien and was involved in the crash with Dick Johnson at Bathurst in 93? Was it rebuilt or junked after the race? Rebuilt. Mm. So that car was the the Brian Callahan mobile concrete pumping Pumping. Mobile concrete pumping car. (laughs) It is almost Halloween. Oh, that nearly tripped me over. Um, That was new in 88. Mm. Actually, it was a top-finishing Walkinshaw spec VL Commodore in Mm. that year's race. So over time, it was the Callaghan-Graham car for some years. Then they sort of merged their resources together with Bill O'Brien. Yep, it was in the crash there. Uh, It's been restored back to its Bathurst 88 uh, livery and spec, and it's been a heritage touring car. Car, actually, no, it's been restored to its ninety three, yeah, ninety two, ninety three Everlast mm. livery. Because that raced... car was also in the big crash at the end of ninety two. Correct, it was in the crash coming out of Forest Elbow in the the wet. So, um, I believe that car's up for sale. Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, I saw that car listed online somewhere recently for sale, about two hundred sixty five grand. Mm. It's it's a car that's been restored and races in heritage touring cars um it's with uh, john douglas in tassie last i checked so interesting um, stat that was the only commodore pole winner in any form of tur- australian touring car race in 89 amps car race amps car race Brian in Callahan. the wet Callahan yeah in the right wet. nice nice um question for you kieran asks what's the difference between a ve commodore and a ve commodore 2 is it purely aesthetic or they are there structural or mechanical differences between them purely aesthetic yep. just panel work just a light facelift very no- light little procedure, very quick yeah. nip and tuck <laughs> yes. for uh, a Commodore. But that was 2010 that the VE2 yeah, came halfway in. halfway through the season. Phillip Island Enduro. Mm. Yep, yep. Uh, John Stryker, strap yourself in. This is quite the long okay, question. Okay, I'll take a drink. It's, it's valid. 
The, AT, the Australian Touring Car Championship and the history of the Australian Touring Car Championship is referenced many times during Supercars broadcasts. However, Supercars obviously promotes primarily the Supercars Championship brand mm-hmm. above anything else, and the ATCC brand has been left out in the cold for two decades, seemingly only referenced to give the Supercars Championship brand historical reference. Given the way Supercars rules have evolved, would it not be better for the ATCC tag to be applied to a category that might be more willing to promote the name, history, and brand first and foremost? Perhaps TCR. Whoa, that's an interesting one. Um, The Australian Touring Car Championship, I guess, title is Kansas. They place it where they want to place it. It's had nowhere else to be placed for many years. Um, I haven't stopped to think about this too much. If you're TCR, that's your brand. That's what you license to run under. You pay TCR worldwide. Um, Could it be TCR Australia for the Australian Touring Car Championship? Look, you would argue probably the TCR car is closer to a touring car than a current supercar is, mm. but the lineage of the history from the ATCC through what's become the Supercars Championship, it's the top tier, it's the prestigious award. I can't see it changing, but it's an interesting concept that um, that's raised by John there. That's Yeah, that's interesting. Side question. If you went out and asked the average person on the street what a touring car is, what, would, what do you think their answer would be? This is the exact reason why Tony Cochran 20-odd years ago said mm. Group A, 3A... Touring cars, what does it all mean? Um, So V8 supercars became a very clear tagline. And I get the point that I think, and I'll probably say that um, when we document history, when we're putting in the the TV telecasts or Mm. anywhere we do it, um, I reference ATCC for anything that stretches back across the period. It Mm. might go across 80s, 90s when the evolution occurred. It's the same championship. It's like VFL, AFL football. It's the same yes. thing, just under a different banner. And quite often, we'll use the current description. For the sake so, of brevity and not sounding clumsy. And more people understand what you're talking about. Yes. I, I know our, our listeners have a, a deep historic understanding, and Australian Touring Car Championship um, makes a lot of sense to them. So um, next year being the 60th anniversary of the Australian Touring Car Championship is an important thing that... Uh, hopefully there's a bit of celebration going on in various mm. places and of course the Supercars Championship's the logical place for that to occur um, Richard Paul asks a question he's a friend of the podcast <laughs> after Scotty's crash on the weekend in the Bathurst winning chassis it got me thinking what was the last Bathurst winning car lost and sent to race car heaven with their value now it's hard to think a Bathurst winner will ever be trashed and destroyed no matter how bad the crash even if it isn't revived and brought back to full active racing duty What's the last one you're going to think of? I think it is that car. I think it's that DJR EB5, which we actually did a full podcast on. Oh, yes. Go into, the, uh, go into our previous back catalogue and we did a classic car episode on that car, the 94 Bathurst winning Falcon. Hmm. Yeah. Because there are, there are Bathurst winners that have been very badly damaged to the point of being written off or at the very least will never see, will in all likelihood never see a racetrack again. For example... Um, and- <laughs> Two of the last three. Yes, I know. <laughs> so, of course, Scott McLaughlin's car on the weekend will not see... Will- in all likelihood, never see a racetrack again. It'll in be a museum. It was going to be a museum piece at the end of the year. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And same with the Erebus 2017 winner, which Anton De Pasquale crashed at Bathurst this year. That car won't see another ra- a racetrack again in all probability. It, but it'll, it'll be repaired, but yes, back to, converted back to VF of how it won with. So uh, written off, but not gotten rid of. Correct. Which is important uh, r- rather than is. chopped up junk, taking a Sims medal, mm. which is what happened in the '94 car. Mm. Yes. Which the reality is. 
they could have fixed it. Anyway, listen to that podcast, flick back through our previous episodes. Or pre-order the book. Or pre-order the book on DJR, all the cars. That's on our store too. Mm. We've got all the plugs in today. I think. <laughs> uh, we're doing a book that's on every single car from DJR and DJR Team Penske. Then we had to add one. Because, <laughs> because we knew they had this spare chassis floating with the plan of it being next year. But we did also think that what if something happened mm. and they wheel this car out for the rest of the year, which they are now doing for Sandown and Newcastle, we need to leave some pages up our sleeve in our pagination. So thankfully we left a little bit of room mm. because the reality is that car, it looks to be, odds on, to be the car that he'll be driving when he wins a championship, which is all in all probability – Hey, it's not a done deal yet, but in all probability, that's the car that he'll be driving when uh, when the deal's done. So, yeah, I can't imagine, even if it's a crashed car, to yeah. be returned to museum status, I can't see anyone chopping them up in the future. Well, you think of the car that Chas Mostert crashed at Bathurst in 2015, which was not a Bathurst winner, mm. but that's a museum piece now. Exactly. So, it was very nearly <laughs> getting uh, trashed, but mm. thankfully, uh, the good folk here at V8 Sleuth uh, had a little chat to the good folk at Tickford, who had a good <laughs> chat to the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst, and that's where the remnants of that car now live, which is great. Yes. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars unforgettable. Question from Alan. What's the one Group A race, i.e. before V8s in 1993? Mm-hmm. What, what's the one Group A race touring car around that you reckon is worth a watch? 85 Calder. Mm. Everyone lost their minds. (laughs) Brock debuting a new Commodore racing number seven, which Mm. is something a bit different. John Harvey stayed in the existing car 05. Jim Rich's BMW, Dickie Johnson in the Mustang, the Alphas of Bondi and Alan Jones, Neville Crichton in the BM, Robbie Francovic in the Volvo. On like Donkey Kong, yeehaw. (laughs) It was bloody good stuff. Well, you think back, that was the last race it called on the old traditional layout. Yeah, where where it had four corners and a very short straight. And if you wanted to get past, you didn't really have to be polite about it. No, no, no. You had to use the bumper. Mm. And they did. And I think that was at a time when they tried rebranding Calder as Melbourne International Raceway. Uh, in the mid-80s. Well, it was near the airport. That's true. And it was near Melbourne. Um, Matt asks a question. He's got two questions. Normally Mm. when people get two questions, I say, nah, just have one. But there are a couple of interesting ones. Matt says, during Bathurst week, they showed some old Bathurst. I watched the 2002 replay. And during the race when Mark Scaife went into the pits and stopped at the first garage (laughs) at pit entry. He said, now, why were HRT at the team... Sorry. Why were HRT at the pit entrance end of the garage of the lane and not further up the lane as surely they would have won the team's championship in 2001. Well, it's only a relatively comparatively recent thing where team's championship position sets pit lane order. And if you think back in the day at Bathurst with the way the um, garages were structured where teams had their own individual spaces that they built out in the paddock, Mm. all the top teams were down that end near pit entrance. You think Alan Moffat Moffat, basically had a mortgage on the first couple of games. Moffat and Gibson were the Mm. two that would be down the big end of of pit lane. And the team's championship as a point score between multiple cars wasn't introduced until 2005. Mm. There was a champion team of supercars in the, basically from when the Gala Dinner started in 99, but it was the, whoever was the driver that won the championship, the team that they drove for won the team's championship. Of course, with the way that it's now a point score, a team could win the 
championship in teams championship that isn't necessarily the team of the driver that wins the as happened last year the drivers championship yeah it's, it's happened a couple of times before second part of his question Matt mm-hmm. do supercars still have the triple he says triple treat I think he means triple threat I remember a few years ago there was an extra prize for winning Adelaide Bathurst in the last round this had put Scotty Mack in line for the first time since 2008 I yep. don't believe they do not anymore but there, there was a year idea. there five six years ago mm. Chill? Did Chill sponsor that? Sounds about right. Mm. Sounds, it was sounds a big bonus. Yeah. See, I, see, growing up watching NASCAR, the Winston Million, if you won the four big or three of the four big races of the season, it's a talking point. It's a massive storyline that, ironically, when Winston did it, it went in the first year. <laughs> but can you imagine if Pertec is part of the Pertec Enduro Cup put up a hundred thousand dollars if a if a combo could win three of the four races, nah, or a million if all four. a million if all four. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a great deal. Yeah, because you would just simply go and find out what the odds are and put the money on it to then pay out a million. It's cheap PR. That's what they did with Brock in '94. Yeah. The hundred grand bonus was ten grand put on at ten to one. Hmm. The best PR you could get. Um, I think they probably wouldn't want to overshadow the Pertec Enduro Cup by having another triple threat thing. But maybe you could link Adelaide, Townsville and Newcastle. Yeah, start of the year, end of the year, middle of the year. Yeah. Get a sponsor for it, put up a bonus, bit of cash. and 500 grand for the person that sweeps more. They're Townsville's all five, not a 500, but well, we yeah. can adjust these yeah, things. Yeah, why not? We can do anything we like. So yeah. um, so the answer is, as you quite rightly pointed out, no. But no. maybe they should but think about let's it. Let's cross our fingers. Yeah. Question from Howard. What about a podcast on UVH Sleuth? Who, what, where, and why you became the sleuth? Will Dale, and maybe some guests, asking those tough questions. Top 10 shootout could be interesting. What do you reckon? <laughs> did you write that? I did not. I thank, reckon you wrote thank that. Thank you, Howard Middleton. I reckon Howard I'm terrible Middleton's... at coming up with fake names, so Howard reckon, Middleton is nah, the genuine article as you, far as I know. You dead set wrote that. No, 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 no. What? Uh, am I going to cop pressure for this? Almost certainly. Uh, what? Maybe one day, maybe next year. What, what would maybe you ask me about? What would we talk about? Let's save it for the podcast. Oh, okay, so that means we're doing it then. Oh. Stay tuned. Stay thanks, tuned. Thanks a lot. Uh, moving on. Uh, Jason, double stacking. Why does this happen? It's just taking out half the field every time it happens, and why hasn't a better option been put in place? Two cars, one pit boom. It was instituted in the interest of safety because not every track can cater safely for one pit boom or pit bay per car. And not every team has enough people to service two cars in the pit lane at the Correct. one time. So I understand it's frustrating, but mm. I only ever hear people complain about it. I haven't heard anyone come up with a solution to it. It's a, it's a tough one because because pretty much every solution involves more money or bulldozing a pit lane. Larko actually did a very yeah, Larko did a nice piece on the telecast of the Gold Coast 600 weekend talking about double stacking and the how and why and um, some of the things you probably don't stop to think about mm. in consideration as to, to why it is how it is. Go and have a look at it if you haven't seen it. Question from Glenn. Why wasn't the fast, the 11th fastest qualifier brought up into the top 10 shootout on Sunday when it was obvious the 17 car was damaged beyond repair? Well, I, I didn't stop and go and run down and actively seek the rule book on this one, but the reality was, given that there was a spare space on the grid of P10, the McLaughlin car wasn't actually withdrawn. And I think generally in the past, when a car is officially withdrawn to the organisers, everyone else moves up a spot. Um, but this is like... Was it 2014? 2014 when Warren Luff had the shunt in Tander's car. James Courtney, the team car, was 11th but wasn't inserted into the shootout. I think that I think 
Holden Racing team at the time expected that to happen because there was precedent. Like- 2008, I remember Rick mm. Kelly's car was shunted by Paul Radisich, who uh, was injured at the top of the hill, and, and Max, Max Wilson, Wilson in the Brad Jones car was elevated mm. into the field. I think it's the sort of thing that you should be... If there's only... if. Mm, if that if the car's not going to be on the grid, it's yeah. not going to yeah yeah. I, I don't. I, I, I think, think they that should. should be what happens. Yeah, but if you didn't qualify in the ten, fine. If a car qualified in the ten and was found illegal, or you know had its time deleted, or something else happened, but you didn't qualify in the ten, you start eleven, and whatever happens, it's like um a driver which happens at the Gold Coast skipping <laughs> a chicane and triggering the sensor. They've got no time. We could argue that I'm eleventh. I did a time. Yeah, but that was before you didn't earn a spot in the mm. shootout. I see what they're saying. Though. It's the, it's the, it's now the tenth fastest car because the previous tenth fastest car is it has now no wheels. Bits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Jory's got a good one. I like this. What happened to the VB challenge? Why did it stop? <laughs> did VB just pull out the funding for it? A lot of happy memories of the VB challenge. Why did it stop? Indeed, I think that is what happened. That that their marketing objectives mm. were fulfilled, and that was it. Basically. Got a lot of people who talk about the VB Challenge to this very day. With basically, they were souped-up Commodores and Falcons that, that got did progressively a, hot rodded yeah, by their drivers yeah, as the right. seasons went on. Um, that was a motor carter out on the grid, snaking in and out of witches' cones backwards and forwards. Usually, the Ford was a combo of the Johnsons and Paul Radisich, and the Holden was the HRT boys with Scafie and Bridey, and I think even Todd Kelly was probably on the scene by then, nearly. So. Mm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of happy memories, actually, of the VB Challenge from back in the day. Maybe we could go retro at Sandown and do it or something one day. I think day. if you go back and watch some of the footage of them, I don't know whether occupational health and safety would <laughs> would cater for exactly the same format. I think we might have to up-spec it to the modern era yeah. slightly, slightly. Yes. Mm. Still green cars, though. Oh, for sure. Question from Gus. What kind of lap time would a TCR car do around Mount Panorama? Maybe a question for Tony Dalberto or Garth Tender. I did some homework for this one. Oh. I sent a little message to TD and said, if you put your Honda Civic Type R around the mountain, what sort of lap time? He said a do? two, didn't he? He said two. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. did say one. Uh, two sixteen-ish. Oh, TD really? reckons. Yeah, so that, that compares similar to the two similar liter to Super, Super Tourers back in the day. Yep. Yep. Okay. Quite similar. There you go. They're a bit heavier than Super Tourers, but they have a little bit more power and a little less aero. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, not bad. Uh, Rod says. With two Car of the Future chassis meeting their maker on the Gold Coast, what number of written-off Car of the Future chassis are we up to, and what are they? Well, fortunately, I have, an ac- have access to this database. <laughs> Here we go. Is yeah. this a plug? This is a plug. Um, so we went back and crunched the numbers. They're actually, we're actually getting close. We're in the 90s of Car of the Future chassis that have been built into race cars. So maybe in the next year... We might take over that magic 100 We should point out that when these car of the future chassis are built, V8 supercars, Hmm. visit all the teams and keep an eye on the builds and document them and so so on and so forth. They also allocate them a V8 supercar chassis number. Hmm. The teams then give them their own number as well. So I think uh, the new McLaughlin car is V8 supercar chassis 096. Hmm. The Di Pasquale car that started on the Gold Coast is 97. Yes. And that's they're out that's of whack right, yeah. because they get allocated with the number while they're being built. Doesn't mean they get completed and debut on the racetrack before one that maybe came later. Mm. So um, that's that's why the scenario is. But there's you got a list there. There's well, actually in the, quite a few. That's it. There's, we're in the mid nineties, and I think there's about eight or nine that it's have a big been percentage. It's almost ten percent. Yeah. So there are the two, there are two cars from Tickford. 
ironically both they got chased yes um a couple from bjr if you think back to todd hazelwood at sandown a couple of years ago oh yeah end of the back straight yeah i've seen that car that was a just a gutted out chassis sitting outside the workshop at brad's yep that is the unfortunate fate of alice the snow leopard (laughs) a couple of djr team i actually think i spoke to tony woodward who's one Mm -hmm. of their engineers there and i think and i must check up with him uh one day when i was up at bjr I was told that one of those chassis, maybe it was that one, maybe it was another one, they were thinking about rebirthing it as a simulator. Like, oh. but, but like, no, a home okay. simulator. <laughs> not not like a, you know, super-duper one for the workshop. I think well, they just wanted to turn it into something fun for themselves. Look, if you could, you would. Let's, oh, let's I, be honest. I so would. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the one Macca Jones had to crash in a, mm. a Super 2 round at Simmons two years ago, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. That was a very expensive weekend for a lot of teams because then Rick Kelly in the main game wrote off his car when, when Will Davison went 10-pin bowling in the Techno mm, car. Which almost wrote off the 2016 Bathurst winner. Yeah. That was a very, very bent car. That's Mark, right. I think that was the only, that Rick's Altima was the only car that was written off out of all the ones that were crashed that day. Yeah, there in, were plenty of damage, but not quite mm, to the point of uh, never to return. No. A couple of, in addition to the car that Scott McLaughlin crashed on the Gold Coast, um, the very first DJR Team Penske designated chassis was also written off. That that happened at Bathurst in 2015 when Scott Pye had that oh, steering failure. The Xbox car. Yeah, the Xbox Wh- car. Which I'm, I'm of the understanding, and this stuff will be in our book, mm-hmm. pre-order our book. It's out early next year. The history of every DJR car. That was just a fortuitous plug. <laughs> um, I'm told that that chassis is still up at DJR, but it might be stored a couple of um, buildings down the road up mm. there. Yep. Um, so there's those. A triple eight car has also has also been written off, but it wasn't with triple eight at the time. That was the car that Lee Holdsworth had his very bad accident ah, in at yes. Darwin. Now that's the original car of the future triple eight chassis mm. that they never raced, but, but they did all the testing in. Yeah, and if you remember back to Homebush in twenty twelve when the three car of the future cars did their display lap, that was that car. Yeah, that was the Holden it. in yep. VE form. It was yeah. yeah. Quite a few car of the futures tested early in uh, late twenty twelve, but early. in cough era hmm. with ve2 bodywork yeah but they never raced with them no you think so. back to that um the walkinshaw racing the hrt car in that magnificent carbon black yeah. and gold livery yep. that was that was a ve yep and speaking of walkinshaws they lost a car with james courtney at phillip island that one yes. where alex Primer went spearing off the road and harpooned jc right. in the um in the door incredibly lucky not to lose jc mm. in that in that accident either. yeah so there's what Eight, nine? Yeah. We throw in the Erebus car that we talk, talked about before with Anton at Bathurst this year that will not come back to a racetrack. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's also a BJR Commodore, their first car, that Jason mm. Bright barrel rolled at Adelaide that was repaired. Plenty of new bar work in that sucker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is now in England. Yeah. It's been sold to a, a guy we know uh, over there, Alex Sidwell, who's going to race it over there and it's on its way. So there's another one that's not destroyed, but you're not going to see it race in Australia no. well, anytime soon anyway. I think what, uh, there's also a triple eight car over in Malaysia. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, championship winning, which car was it? Van Gisbergen or Winkup's car from uh, the last couple of years? Yes. I think it was James' <laughs> championship winning car. I think so, yeah. Mm. And then, of course, the DJR Team Penske Mustang that's now sends under tray, sends lots of things yes. over at Dearborn in yeah. the US. And, of course, the um, Triple Eight Sandman, of course, which... Yeah, actually, that's a good point because that was Jamie Winkup's first car of the future race car in 2013 for... Mm. Well, he won a fair few races. And Contributed then was, to his title win. It did. And then it was retired and reborn as, as the Sandman. So, mm. yeah, it's a fair list you got there. Nice yeah. list. Yeah. yeah. Moving along. 
Rowan on the back of our podcast about DJR EB5. Thank you, Rowan. If it was still around and you were restoring it, what would you restore it back to? The 94 Bathurst winning EB or the 95 championship winning EF? Bathurst winners seem to take pride of place over title winners, but this was a special car and the first car I really fell in love with as a kid and started my lifelong love of the sport. He's right in what he says there. Mm. Bathurst winners conquer all. Yep. Championships are special, but the thing would be you would have to revert it from EF to EB, which would be a bit of a project and a bit mm. of a spend. But if you put the two finished things alongside one another, if you humanly could, mm. the 94 Bathurst winning EB, there it is, ta-da, pristine, or the 95 championship winning EF, pristine, what's worth more? You go with Bathurst. Bathurst every time. With all due respect to JB, but I'd be going Bathurst. Yeah. Dick, Dick Johnson's last Bathurst winning car, one of three. Well, yeah, and for 25 years it was their last Bathurst winning car as a team until a couple of weeks ago and history, <laughs> history, history was changed. Some French bloke. Yeah, some Kiwi and some French bloke. Uh, Matthew, if Kelly Racing don't announce Andre Heimgartner for their second Mustang, is there anywhere else on the grid he could end up? There are a few seats that are vacant. He's going to be there. But, yeah, Lock it's hard to see him anywhere else. Lock him in. Lock him in. They'll announce it. Uh, question from Chris. Which co-driver has impressed you the most this endurance season? Do you see any of them making the step up in the next few years? I presume by asking about step up, he means younger drivers. Because mm. uh, there have been a lot of impressive older drivers. Uh, like yeah. C. Yeah. Lowndes, G. Tander. <laughs> what have they ever done? Yeah. Uh, oh, Tom Randall. Mm. I he was Tom Randall. very good. Not only has he done some nice work on the track, um, his swooning of a piano in pit lane at Bathurst was <laughs> impressive. It's very unexpected. I didn't uh, know he could do that. Yeah, no, I wasn't expecting that either. Um, look, he, I think when he started the car was it Saturday on the Gold Coast, mm. and I know Scafey said on the TV, "Ooh, don't know that I'd be doing that." Bowling him up against some choice, yeah. big guys, but um, you know, he stepped aside for Caruso there at one stage in one of the races early when he didn't have the same pace. But his approach, he's – and I know V8 Sleuth has been on his car in the tail and bend round, mm. but um, putting that aside, results are on the board. He and Lee, had it not been for that stacking stuff at Bathurst, would have been top five mm. comfortably. Um, they were top what, sixth, fifth yeah. in both the races on the Gold Coast. So he stands out as a young guy that's that's really quite impressed. Will Brown, of course. Will Brown's done a, a better job this year. Um Got a result at the Gold Coast and a really good fight back after mm. he got turned around. Um, we know with Will what we, we get because he's been around for a little <laughs> while. Tom's a bit more of a lesser-known entity, but... Um, but still quite the character. Yeah. Not, not every driver has a Russell Coit air freshener hanging from the rearview mirror of their, <laughs> their race car or a sticker of Big Chungus. <laughs> That's an Andrew Google Van, that one. That's an Andrew Van Leeuwen favourite, yeah. Big Chungus. Yeah. I, yeah, beyond that, I think they're the two picks... When you mentally go through the list of who else is in that list of young, uh, the other actually the other bloke is Bryce Forward. Oh, absolutely. He, he doesn't have a result to his name, which is extremely unfair. But he and Heimgartner have done a really great job at that Bathurst and the Gold Coast. Super impressive at Bathurst. Yeah, yep, big time. So they're probably my three. Apologies to anyone that was obvious that I've left out that's young and fast that did something good. I'm sure we'll hear from Tony Dalberto very soon. He's not young. <laughs> but, but thanks for the TCR lap time, TD. Uh, John asks, uh, was it my turn or your turn? No, it's your turn. Okay. Uh, James Golding, a real talent in the S5000s. Do you see him any heading overseas? Unfortunately, I don't think I don't think James has much financial backing, nah. which um, uh, unless sadly S- curtails. Unless, most- unless S5000 have a round in Tasmania. <gasps> that might be a way to go overseas. Yes. Well, next next question. you handle that. Next question. Call. 
Uh, David, what was the last event where two chassis were damaged to the point of withdrawal and eventual retirement? I I think it's that Simmons Plains event where across main game and Super 2, we lost cars. Well, the bow car was a write-off in 96 at Phillip Island. Oh, yes. That's where where I'm thinking. The Lowndes car came back. The Lowndes car did come back. Um, That's the same weekend Owen Kelly had a terrible accident in a Porsche Cup car too Mm. that put him in hospital for quite some time. Um, In terms of being both write-offs, the other one that springs to mind is uh, 2008 at Bathurst. Yes. There weren't two write-offs. The PWR car that was in the big shunt at the top of the hill was... The Team Kiwi car that Chris Pither was driving that ploughed into him was repaired. Because it raced that weekend. That's right. Didn't last very long. No. Uh, it was the Jamie Winkup Quipsal winner from 06, oh. and it's being restored to that. Okay. Um, slowly but surely. Uh, and the other one was, of course, the accident that Paul Radisich had, top of the hill in the HSV dealer team car, but that car was eventually repaired as well. But, yeah, big carnage weekend. It's pretty rare that we see that sort of stuff, even on the Gold Coast over the years. So, um, yeah, that was pretty big. Greg, do you watch Will, Enforcer and the Dude? I do. It's a good show. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, same. I, I think there's just a good variety of stuff out there, whether you like it or you don't. It's Absolutely. there for you to, to enjoy. If you're into your supercars, you probably have easily the biggest range of media to consume in mm. between rounds than you ever have, like setting aside our wonderful podcast, which you're yeah, currently course, listening to. Course. Naturally. Below the Bonnet, Fox Motorsports Loud Panel Podcast. Yep. Balls and Bumpers. Yeah. yeah. I think not, it's not, great. Wanting, not wanting to give a free kick to oh, everyone, but no, no, there's no. a lot out there. Yeah, like, absolutely. And I think the great and you've forgotten the, the great man, the greatest of great men. The one who's got two point nine bazillion million downloads. Greg Rust. The, of course. The garage. Mm, Rust's so, garage. So do you think if we got him on our podcast, we would get a Guernsey on his? I think that would be the best way for the to satisfy Howard's request of you doing a podcast. <laughs> I think that's probably the best. Would probably be Howard's the best. Howard's not We'd real. Just do a switch. We both know he's it. real. Howard's not real. Ask Howard. No way. No way. Did you set up a burner account on Facebook or something? I wouldn't know how. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I've I haven't watched all the Enforcer and the Dude episodes. I've seen oh, probably a quarter of them. Um, purely, it's hard to have the time to consume mm. everything that's out there at the moment, but. Um, I, I actually saw Russell after one of our TCR rounds. I don't reckon they've gone hard yet. <laughs> I don't reckon they've yeah. whacked anyone as hard as they think they might have. Yeah. But they're, they're doing stuff that's not out there anywhere else, so it's good that it's out there. Um, you know, it's it's got, something different. Yeah, YouTube, Facebook. Um, good production value too. Yeah, yeah. Clearly there's a bit of effort going into it and a bit of money being spent on it. And um, No, good luck to them. I like it. It's um, It's good to have more stuff out there. Question from Scott. Thoughts on adding an extra enduro round earlier in the year? Nah. Nah. Money. Mm. Uh, if anything, I reckon we could lose an enduro. Just have a two-round enduro yep. cup. Yep. Which but one I'm would you call? Gold Coast. I figured it wouldn't be Bathurst. No. No. I mean, the fact that we don't have a Sandown 500, don't start me on that one. Mm. Um, but a 500 and a 1,000... The Gold Coast should be a 400 or a 500 single driver. Save some money on co-drivers. But after all, you, you just count down to lap 34 and rip them out of the car unless things change in the strategy. Um, yeah, I can't see it happening. I don't think Two we're round in Euro Cup, though. I don't think we're It kind of defeats yeah, but, the point but, of that. No, no. How many years did we have Sandown and Bathurst? Years. Yeah. Oh, look. 
but the, the question is, do we want an enduro earlier in the year? I don't think we're equipped for it. Or no. If you're going to do enduros, you've got to put them all together. Yeah, I think that, that approach makes the most sense as well. Yep. Brutal question from Troy. What's the most chassis wrecked by a single driver? Chaz now has two. Ouch. Oh, yeah, it's up there, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Unfortunately, I think in the modern era, that off the top of my head, that's probably that's probably it. Yeah, I think all those drivers you listed before that were at the wheels of various chassis that have mm. <laughs> finished their racing careers were all different names. So. Yeah. Not, not to cast aspersions on Chaz. He was doing his no, job. He was no, trying no, to extract no, the most speed out of the car at the time, and it just went wrong. It happens. Life. Exactly. That's what his job is. Yep. Question from Maxwell. One question from Maxwell. Who was old mate on the podium? <laughs> he was a virgin representative, wasn't he, giving out the surfboards? Just, he just never he left. He it. He never he left. left it. If you were up there, you would hang around too. Oh, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> had the look of, uh, I'm not sure what to do here, but actually this looks like good fun. I might just stay here for a little while. <laughs> How was the look on the, I think it was Van Gisbergen almost giving him the little, dude, you got to go over yeah, there. Yeah. That bloke over there. Should the Sebastian give, give, Vettel out of the shot, please. Oh, yeah, that was good yeah. too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a weekend for podium stuff. Yeah. Mexico where... Who was that dude out there on the podium in the helmet with the selfie stick? He had a name. He's got a Twitter account because oh, I saw it tagged somewhere. Really? I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, oh Mario Ar- Mario Archie. Right. So so a full Mariachi like play on words there. So Vettel basically went podium is sacred. Yeah, bugger look, off. mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I can understand. I I loved the Van Gisbergen bottle boom. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Bathurst, he got it pretty well. Yeah. Saturday at the Gold Coast, he was a lone pilot on it, but nailed it really much better than Bathurst. Oh, yeah. And then all six of them being in on it. (laughs) Old mate that was presenting the surfboards got in the way and stuffed the photo. I had five photographers telling me, who's that bloke in all the shots he got in the way of Lounsey? But the the thing is now, and I know Shane said he didn't invent it, but he's just going on with it, which I think it's cool. It just adds a bit of extra spectacle to it all, and it stops us... Having to see David Reynolds hit the armor roll guy in the nuts. <laughs> no, he didn't hit the armor roll guy in the nuts. He hit Dan Canto in the nuts with the armor roll guy's hammer. I thought he gave the armor roll bloke one on the way through too. No, he probably did. It's Dave. Uh, it's probably not in the. Yeah, I don't know. We'll consult the videotape. Question, from, <laughs> question from Stephen. Do you think the raising of the center of gravity in the Mustang added to the effect of it rolling on its side <laughs> on the weekend? <laughs> wow. Uh, is he taking the Mickey? No, I think that's about. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, no, no. I, I think hitting the wall at that over. speed and then bouncing out will be the thing that does it. Doesn't matter if there's a couple of kgs of uh, COG weight floating around. Or well, was the fact that the wheel also folded under the car? That didn't help either. Yeah, yeah. And a question from Adam: Combining Super Three and Super Two, good or bad? He says no, as Super Three represents the old good days. Super Two just too expensive, in his opinion. Uh, Super Two is too expensive. I think everyone acknowledges that. Um, I'd be interested to know how many current Super 3 competitors would stay if it was to be merged in together or how many would disappear and, and mm. just park their car or sell it. Eh, hard to know without talking to all those competitors. Because the philosophy around the two championships or the two series is very different. Oh, for sure. And mm. the level of competition and competitor base is different too in terms of there are many more what we would formally call, previously called privateers yeah. in Super 3. Super 2, there's a lot of race teams running them for... Kids who are trying to go somewhere who are bringing a budget, Egglestons, Matty White, Triple Eight, obviously running some cars. Uh, Kostecki Brothers have yeah. been in the series as well. I, I don't, I don't warm to it. I understand, yeah. you know, getting more cars on the grid would be great, 
but I think that the 12 years put in by the Kirkpatrick's on V8 Touring Cars, which is what it's called, Super 3 is a, a brand owned by Supercars, mm. that was affixed to it uh, this year. I think that would be a real shame if they're in a position where their series was gutted to um, to help boost up Super 2. I think Super 2 can be helped and boosted without having to pull to the guts that. out of Super 3. Um, and I think there's a... A bit of a story out there that it's about pathways and about development. I think the pathway's already there, though, yeah. really. If, you know, you go good in Super 3, you get into Super 2, and if you go good in Super 2 and a bit of money's tied into it all along the way... Look, like, you, look you at Jack Smith, look at Will Brown, look yeah, at Tyler Everingham. There. Yeah, you get there. So I, I hope that both categories can... They cater for a different market. The budget for Super 3 is much less than Super 2. Mm. Um, we'll see how it all plays out, but I would... I, I think the two things can coexist as separate things um, moving forward, but Super 2 does need a bit of love, no doubt. Well, I'm out of questions. I know oh, you. I'm out. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. done. I'm yeah. done. Well, Toasted. I think that's it. I think that's us. Uh, i tell you what, though. Before we go, don't forget, November 7th, Thursday night, join us at Hoyts in Chadston in Melbourne for our night with Neil Crompton where we'll sit down and talk Stories of all sorts with Cromley about his time with Brock, about HRT, about the Gibson era, about Formula Holdens, racing in America. What else? Training, training Dame Edna Average. Oh, that's a real story. <laughs> if you've never heard Crompo's story of driving with Dame Edna in the celebrity race in Adelaide, that's worth the price of admission alone. It'd it's be, hilarious. It'd be the only time in a celebrity race where there was a co-pilot, surely. I, Pluck it up never uh, had help, did he? Oh, no, Trevor was in the car with him. Oh, right. Trevor Marmalade was. There you go. Probably the only other time. Uh, We've got a pile of stories, though. If If you want to come along, grab a ticket. It's quarter past seven. Thursday, November 7 at Hoyts in Chadston. Nice comfy chair. Grab yourself some popcorn um, and sit back and relax for two and a half hours and uh, hear us tell all sorts of funny stories. I just really want to stitch Neil (laughs) real bad. He got got me on TV many years ago. (laughs) Oh, you did too. Well, I kind of paid him. Should we tell why? Yes, I think so. Okay, so quickly before this podcast wraps up, I'll tell you why. In about 2000 and something, 10, 9, 11, wherever we were, we were in Townsville. And in those days, V8 Extra for Channel 7, uh, there was a bit of a theory at the time that we should pre-record it Sunday afternoon after we were off air. So then it was done and dusted and no one had to go to the studios in Sydney and you know save some cost, basically. Mm. I wasn't appearing on the desk. I would do the new segment from the Melbourne studio in Channel 7 where I'd go in, record it, go home, and they would insert it into the show. But on this day, they said, quick, quick, we need you to come down to the desk. We need you to come and sit um, on the desk um, to fill in a segment. And I think Seton, Glenn Seton had been on previous segment. And I rolled in and I had to put all my shirt back on because I got changed from the day. And I said, what's going Like It was completely disorganized. What's going on? No one's telling me anything. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And I think it's Crompo and Larco from memory. <laughs> Two blokes who love us to Yeah, up. yeah. And over, you know when you have that feeling of things dawning on you and that horrible feeling of, oh, shit, this is me. <laughs> the lights are on me here. And I, I had a period where I didn't wear glasses. I was trying to wear contacts and I hated them, but I didn't put glasses on. I saw a piece of paper on the table on the desk but I couldn't read what it was because mm. my vision's not good enough from that distance. But I knew just the feel and the look of the bit of paper. Instantly, I knew what it was. It's the letter that I wrote him <laughs> in about 1995 or something. Hello, Mr. Neil. Um, can I please, you know, I, was, I used to write away to all the V8 drivers and get their responses. 
um, and make articles in our local car club magazine in Ballarat. Anyone who's from Ballarat who's been associated with Ballarat Light Car Club in the mid-90s uh, <laughs> will remember it because that's where I started doing all this stuff. And here I am being hauled onto this TV show and he pulls this thing out and starts reading my questions and um, carrying on it. Abs- and Larko's wetting himself and I'm going, <laughs> oh, I'm just getting smashed. <laughs> this is just the end segment. I'll have to find the tape. It's somewhere around. And anyway, he absolutely smashes me up. And answers all. I said, you wrote back. Like, that's a funny thing. <laughs> so the backstory was that he was, he doesn't throw anything away. He keeps everything. He mm. files everything. He was sorting through some papers one day at work before that Townsville round, and this thing just magically flew out of the pile and landed on the <laughs> ground. And he thought, gold, I'll stitch Noonan. I took five years to get him back. But I got there. Do you remember how? <laughs> the best revenge is always served cold. And you know the best part? His mum mm. gave me the photo of him when he was five. <laughs> so- my parents and Neil's mum live in Ballarat. They live like five minutes from one another, as it turns out, when we figured it all yeah, out. There you go. So he said, next time you're in Ballarat, I've got a whole pile of old beta tapes. Go and get them from mum's. There might be some <laughs> stuff on there that, you know, you're into all your history stuff. Convert mm. them, keep them, all that stuff. She showed me some photos, and I couldn't help but take a photo of a photo mm. of a very, I don't know, three-year-old, four-year-old Neil in his little push cart <laughs> with a little caravan that was his dad had made. It, was, it looks amazing. I think this is on YouTube somewhere, actually. Mm. So my little news segments on the Supercars telecast back in the Channel 7 days, I'd get, a, I don't know, two minutes, three minutes. Like, you know, It's like what Stubbsy does for Fox now yeah. um, and drop a bit of chit-chat in there. We kept it secret from him, but we, we <laughs> saved that to last. That I think it was a wild card entry is about to be announced for Bathurst <laughs> and up it went on the screen. And um, I thought that was payback. But mm. I don't reckon I got the full percentage worth. No. So I think we've got to do it at Hoyt's Chadston on Thursday, November 7 from quarter past seven. So All these things are better with a live audience. I think so. Um, don't throw Jaffas or Maltesers. They're better eaten, though. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. But no, it'll be a good night. V8 Sleuth Open Night. Grab yourself a ticket. Jump on our website. Have a, a click on the link of the Neil Crompton Open Night story and you'll get the link to tickets or go to Eventbrite. Dot com.au. That's E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E. Yes. Dot com.au. Search Neil Crompton or V8 Sleuth and you'll, you'll find where to buy one and, and come along. should be good fun. That it should. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast. Thank you, mate. That sounded like you had a question mark at the end of the teleprompter. No, I can't help that I was looking at a question mark at the time. <laughs> this no. is why you always script the outro. That's it. No, we don't need to script it. Good job. Q&A done. Lots of questions. Hope we help some people. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast, by the way, too, wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, where else did you listen? Google. Google. Yeah. Pretty much wherever you you like to listen to podcasts, wherever you're listening to podcasts, right? This podcast right now. Yeah. Subscribe. So then you know when the the next episode's up, you'll get it ASAP. We've been blown away by the love for our podcast this year. We had a lot of people at the Gold Coast come up and say g'day and they've been listening to them. We'll do a couple more before the end of the season. We've got some plans for next year that we'll probably reveal somewhere early in the new year, but it's been a, a whole pile of fun. Hope you've enjoyed the Q&A. Well done, Will. We will be back with another podcast sometime soon, but in the meantime, listen to the 21 or 22 other podcast episodes to tide you over until we're back next time. See you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. 
So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.